Those of you listening at home, go ahead and turn off all the lights around you. If you were here two Sundays ago, this is where we left things. This is where Jesus left things with the crowd that was listening to him. Luke eleven thirty three to 36 says, No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it in a cellar or under a basket, but on a stand, so that those who enter may see the light. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But when it is bad, your body is full of darkness. Therefore, be careful, lest the light in you be darkness. If then your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, it will be wholly bright as when a lamp with its rays gives you light. We talked about surrendering your life to Jesus, which fills you with light and pulls you out of the darkness. You remember also, we talked about making sure to show your light to others. about not covering it up, which would put you right back in darkness. Today, we're going to talk more about what is inside. We're going to look at what's inside versus what's outside. Do your actions match up with the light inside of you? Do your actions line up with the heart of the Savior? We are going to talk this morning about what matters. Let's go ahead and bring the lights up. And as we do, go ahead and open up to Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11. Now, we might not have given you quite enough time to get used to the darkness, but definitely walking in to a dark room and popping on a light is kind of jarring, isn't it? We all know how different light and darkness are from each other. We all experience that disorientation when switching from light to darkness or switching from darkness to light. In our passage this morning, uh, Jesus is calling out those who are trying to look like there is light inside when, there is, when they are actually full of darkness. Let's go ahead and read our passage this morning, Luke 11, starting in verse 37. And let's go ahead and stand in honor of God's word as we read. Luke 11, and we're starting in verse 37. These are God's words. While Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him. So he went in and reclined at table. The Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not first wash before dinner. And the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You fools! Did not he who make the outside make the inside also? But give his alms those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. But woe to you, Pharisees, 
For you tithe mint and rue and every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Woe to you, Pharisees. For you love the best seat in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you. For you are like unmarked graves and people walk over them without knowing it. One of the teachers answered him, or one of the lawyers answered him, Teacher, in saying these things, you insult us also. And he said, Woe to you lawyers also. You want to feel included? Fine. For you load people with burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. Woe to you. For you build the tombs of the prophets whom your fathers killed. So you are witnesses, and you consent to the deeds of your fathers. For they killed them, and you build their tombs. Therefore also the wisdom of God said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and persecute, so that the blood of all the prophets shed from the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation, from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who perished between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, it will be required of this generation. Woe to you, lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter yourselves, and you hindered those who were entering. As he went away from there, the scribes and the Pharisees began to press him hard and to provoke him to speak about many things, lying in wait for him to catch him in something he might say. Lord, this morning, um, I'm just thankful that we have your words in front of us, that we get to read them and that we get to talk about them, dive into them, and we have no fear of oppression or persecution. Oh, God, thank you so much for that. Thank you for the people that fought so that we could have that freedom. God, as we dive in this morning, touch our hearts. Engage our minds to what you have to say to us. Don't let us miss it, God. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and grab a seat. So we're in our series uh, on the book of Luke called The Good Doctor. Jesus is the good doctor. And in Luke, we see that Jesus came to heal the whole person, both inside and outside. Any good doctor will deliver the bad news to someone that needs to hear it. She is hurting her patient if she is keeping the bad news to herself. In this interaction, Jesus is being the good doctor by delivering the bad news. Multiple times. He points out the stark difference between the inside and the outside. So let's dive in and we are going to see what matters. So we have in this passage uh, the entirety of an interaction between Jesus and some Pharisees and lawyers. It's neatly bookended. In verse 37, it says, he went in. So Jesus enters into this Pharisee's house and In 53, it says, as he went away from there. So we kind of have the entirety of this whole interaction right here. And this interaction is set in the home of a Pharisee, which isn't the first time Jesus has eaten a meal with the Pharisees, and it won't be the last time either. 
uh, earlier as we've been going through the book of Luke, we see in Luke 7.36, one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. This is the interaction between Jesus and the sinful woman. Uh, and in, in that interaction, Jesus calls out the Pharisee for, for not washing his feet, for not welcoming him. You guys remember that one, right? You know, so it's not the most pleasant interaction between Jesus and the Pharisee, even though Jesus is here in this Pharisee's home. As we read through already, and you've kind of surmised a little bit, this is also not a very pleasant interaction between Jesus and the Pharisees. And then in Luke 14.1, it says, One Sabbath, when he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. And there, Jesus heals a man, that's there, on the Sabbath, which again, kind of stirs up some dissension between him and the Pharisees. And so every interaction that we see in the book of Luke, where Jesus is dining at the house of a Pharisee, it's not a pleasant one. And for some reason, they keep inviting him back. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> now, there's a lot of lessons and inferences that we could try to draw from these interactions. But instead of drawing what we think we see, it's more important to get after what Luke was trying to tell his readers. Why did he continue to bring up these meals with the Pharisees? Why did he talk about those? I think the fact that Luke continues to bring up these interactions has a twofold purpose. Outside of wanting to grab in each interaction what Jesus is trying to teach, so yes, that's important, there's a couple other things that Luke is trying to do in bringing up these multiple interactions. First, he brings these occurrences up to show the progression of the schism between Jesus and the Pharisees. At the end of that first meal in Luke 7, the Pharisees go off and grumble about what Jesus is doing. Oh, we don't like this, Jesus. At the end of this interaction today, they go off and now they're plotting and scheming. And they're looking for ways to trip Jesus up. Right? They're going from just kind of talking about it to starting to do some action. And in the interaction in chapter 14, the beginning of the third meal, they, they brought him in. And invited him, they were watching carefully to catch him doing something wrong. It says, one Sabbath, when he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. So see, at the beginning of the third meal, they're already watching for this. So you see the progression? Like it's getting, you know, more and more volatile between the Pharisees and Jesus. And yes, uh, outside of these three meals, there are plenty of other interactions between uh, the Pharisees and Jesus. Um, and there's plenty of these interactions where they're doing these different things. They're grumbling. They're trying to trip Jesus up or catch him doing something wrong. But you'll notice a progression through the book of Luke in these interactions. So that's part of why he's bringing these up to show us the progression of the schism between Jesus and the Pharisees. But the other reason I think he continues to bring these up is to show the reader that Jesus didn't give up on the Pharisees. Jesus consistently invites them to change. We're going to see this in this passage today. 
but he does so in the other passages as well. He's not just having conversations with them to get them madder at him or to condemn them in front of others or to just show others that the Pharisees are doing things wrong. He cares about them too. He loves them. Let's take a look at how. If you like filling in blanks, uh, we've got some blanks for you to fill in this morning uh, in your handout. And the first that we're going to look at is outer versus inner cleansing. Outer versus inner cleansing. Look in our passage at uh, verse 37. It says, while Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him. So he went in and reclined at table. The Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not first wash before dinner. And the Lord said to him, now you Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You fools, did not he who make the outside make the inside also? But give his alms those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. Now first, let's talk about this washing. This washing was not about hygiene. It was about ceremony. The Pharisees would wash before every meal, not to remove dirt, but to remove sin from their hands as if sin was something they could contract while touching others. One commentator said it this way, before eating anything, scrupulous Jews had water poured over their hands to remove the defilement contracted by their contact with a sinful world. Yeah. Now, as with many other rules and regulations, I'm sure this began with good motives, right? As they would wash, they'd get in and wash and think, remember to preserve purity. They would think, remember to remove sin. Remember to walk in a manner that I need to. And it would be a symbol for them. But as time went, And as the original meaning of that ritual was lost, it became a checkbox. It became a status symbol. Okay, everyone watching, look how good I am. Look how clean I am. Remember when I shook that hand of that other person? Oh, they were sinful. And as I'm doing this, I'm washing that sin off because I'm so good. Look how clean I am. Ta-da. And that's what it became. And so it was this ceremonial interaction. I'm so clean. Sadly, they're just an empty Starbucks cup. It's amazing how you can find illustrations everywhere, right? That's how Jesus taught. He used what was around him to make a point. Even here, he's using what's right in front of him. When he talks about a cup and a dish, I imagine him grabbing and holding up a cup, grabbing and holding up a dish. I was talking with my kids about this earlier this week, and we were talking about it at the dinner table, and I picked up the empty dish and said, look how clean it is on the outside. And look at the inside, how dirty it is. I imagine Jesus doing the same thing. I was studying at Starbucks the other day, uh, preparing for this sermon. 
I was enjoying a tasty eggnog latte. Now, I know eggnog is one of those, like, kind of divisive kind of drinks, but I'm sure we have a few eggnog lovers in here, right? All right. (laughs) So I finish my tasty beverage, and I look inside my cup. Yeah, not so pretty, is it? It's a nice, pretty holiday drink, but, like, on the inside, it's just a mess, The Pharisees are nothing but pretty holiday Starbucks cups that have recently been used. Great to look at on the outside, but dirty and empty on the inside. Jesus calls them out on their inner filth, which is something that Simeon prophesied Jesus would be doing. You remember Simeon from Luke chapter 2, where Jesus is brought to the temple and this man, Simeon, had been told by God that he would not die before he would get to see the Messiah. And Jesus shows up and Simeon starts weeping and celebrating because he knows that this little baby is the Messiah. And so he celebrates him and then he starts prophesying over him. Here's one of the things he said. Are you ready for this? And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your soul also. Mary, you're not off the hook. So that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. That's what Simeon said. Jesus was here to do so that thoughts from many hearts would be revealed. So what does Jesus reveal about them? Now you Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. Ooh. The thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Jesus is pulling back the layers. Guys, this is what's going on. The irony is that by their washing, they're trying to show others how clean they are, how they just rid themselves of the defilement of the world, which would have included both greed and wickedness, right? But he calls them out and says, you are full of greed and wickedness. Jesus wants them to see that this is exactly what they're filled with. The very things that they said, I'm washing these away. No, no, no. You are full of it. Jesus then gives them a solution. A way to clean what's on the inside. Look at verse 41. But give his alms those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. Now, there's debate around exactly what this means. Let me walk through it with you. Some take it literally. When it says, give his alms the things that are within, they say, well, what's within is the things that are on the inside of the cup and the dish. So what was on the inside of the cup and the dish? Well, the beverage, the food. So he's telling them, like, give food to others. Like, give that away. Others take a little bit more of a symbolic look at it, saying the things that are within are representing all material possessions. So uh, they they need to be giving away 
everything. Jesus is saying, give up your material possessions. But here's what I think Jesus is trying to say. Remember, the outside of the cup and the dish, when he's talking about what's clean, he's talking about the Pharisees. He's talking about their outside, their outer appearance, how they show themselves off to others, their external piety, and their priorities. So when they wash higher level than the people around them, we're going to come back to that soon. String two. I don't want this filth on me. I'm washing it off. I'm cleansing myself. So Jesus is calling them to make a priority the very people they've been trying to avoid. To the poor is just another outer action. And yes, we're going to come to that shortly in our way possessions. But it was just another part of their outward Jesus is telling them that outward cleanliness doesn't sound and dirty and look these people in the eye and engage yourself from them. Connect with them. That's what you're here for, Pharisees. Remember, he's trying to show them that though they thought they were full of life. So he's basically telling them just to do the exact opposite of what they've been doing. For So what's their directive? What does Jesus ask them to do? Versus inner giving. And like I said, we were just, but woe to you, Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb and neglect. Woe to you, Pharisees, for you love the best seed in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplace without knowing it. Now, here in this passage, we have three of the six. Now, we don't really use the word woe much, not woe is a warning of impending disaster. It's a warning. Behold, two woes are still to come. Said in another way, the first disaster says, woe to you who are rich. It could be also said, how disastrous, when it says, woe to you Pharisees, it, how disastrous it will be. And in saying that, it's not this smug arrogance. Woe to you Pharisees, but no, like, Woe to you, Pharisees. I'm grieving for you because you're headed in this wrong direction. Will you stop? Will you pay attention? Hear the anguish in Jesus' heart as he continues to peel back these layers. The Pharisees knew they were to tithe one-tenth of everything. But in that time, currency was a little bit more complicated than it was, than it is today. You didn't have to give a tenth of. Something like, yes, give a tenth of your flock, give a tenth of your grain, but, but no, don't worry about giving a tenth of your salt or a tenth of your fabric, right? You know, all those things could be used to exchange, and so there were clear, like, regulations so that they could kind of clean it up a little bit. But here, Jesus is pointing out that they are going well above and beyond everything that was required of them. So instead of just following the guidelines, they were giving a tenth of everything. They were counting out these, these little herbs. Nine stocks for me, one for God. Nine for me, one for God. They were giving a tenth of every little thing. Now, yes, I'm being a little facetious about it, but yet again, it was about outward appearances for them. They didn't care that God got a tenth of all they had. This wasn't an act of worship for them. It was another checkbox. Cleanse myself of sins by washing my hands? Check. Gave a tenth of everything to God? Check. And, and I think others saw how much work that was for me. 
Oh, they probably think I'm really devoted to him. (laughs) Actions. He says, these you ought to have done without... In fact, he wants them to continue to do that. But he wants their hearts right as they're... How about in 1 Corinthians 13? But have not love. I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. He says to remove mountains, but have not love? I am nothing. Love, I gain nothing. Good to have all faith so as to move mountains? The answer to all these is yes, by the way. Is it good to... But without love, I'm a noisy gong. I gain nothing. Back in our passage, be for you Pharisees, if you tithe without justice and God's behind it, Pharisees. Instead of putting the love of God first. Pharisees, you love the best seed in the city. How good I'm doing. Is everyone noticing? Wait, uh, hold on. Give me that money back. I'm going to give it again. They wanted it to be seen by others. It's simply the second half of verse 42. These you ought to have done. Matters here. All of it. Tithing matters. God matters. Now, obviously, justice and the love of God is not this exhaustive. Basically, Jesus is saying that following God with your whole heart, with everything, with your everything. Then Jesus concludes this. Because this conclusion is brought up again in verse 52. So I'm going to read these two unmarked graves and people walk over them without knowing it. 52. Woe to you hindered those who are entering. You see the connection here? He's trying to be pious and point others towards piety. They're actually harming those where a grave would make you ceremonially unclean. See it and unknowingly walk over it, making themselves ceremoniously. Who walked over unmarked graves became ceremonially unclean. And people... Now we also talk about locked doors of biblical law. Their job was to study the law and interpret so that they could control how it was read and interpreted. And in the very what the scripture was trying to tell them. And of course, in doing so, they were also keeping, were trying to do, instruct and model piety, was having the, instruct others in the scriptures was having the exact opposite effect. Talking with them. Ooh, ouch. Be a stumbling block. Don't drag others down with you. Now, it looks like Jesus was done at this point. And then a lawyer speaks up. In these things, you insult us also. In other words, uh, this clearly does That's basically what the lawyer is trying to get at. And Jesus' response was probably not by the stuff you're overhearing. Well, let me talk to you directly now. Let me make it. You got it. And Jesus points to two issues, and then get verse 46. He says, Woe to you lawyers also, for you load people with... Now, this is pretty straightforward. As the lawyers interpreted the scriptures, they were... instead they added rules and regulations, making it infinitely harder to follow, and customized them to their fancy. Peter brings this very odd to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear and upholding the law. But their inner drive behind it was selfish. To, counter, to counteract this issue or the next Jesus brings up. 
but the directive verb by the condemnation. Stop it. And then Jesus gets into this whole thing about tombs. The lawyers would build tombs what their forefathers did, which was killing these prophets. And their lives were evidence of that, not listening to the words and the warnings of a dead prophet. So they were happy to do that, not having to worry that the prophet would show up and challenge their words. But how well the prophets were treated. You guys remember? Yeah, Jeremiah wasn't received well at all. He feared for his life. He was not received well. Jesus is calling out these lawyers for outwardly honoring them. And this accusation towards the Jewish leaders isn't the last of its kind. Always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Uh, announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. That's Stephen pointing this out to the Jewish leaders multiple times in this portion of our passage. Again, referring to the evil generation, the blood of the prophets be on the hands of this generation. Well, Ezekiel if I say to the wicked, you shall surely die, and you give to him, that wicked person shall die for his iniquity, but his blood I will require. And it talks about from the blood of Abel all the way to the blood of Zechariah, the Old Testament, according to the way the books were ordered at that time. So the point that Jesus is charging them for every murder, saying you're responsible for it. And yes, it's that way in the Hebrew alphabet. It's not about alphabetical, okay? It's just about chronological. Um, again, there's no directive here. Jesus only isn't what matters. What matters is that they listen to the words the king. So how do they respond? They take to heart what he said. Look at verses 53. Ibs and the Pharisees began to press him hard and to provoke him to speak. He might say. Did they take to heart what Jesus? Now, remember all the directives that Jesus, of the sorrow that he had that they were headed in a wrong direction. Here they are. He said, follow God with your everything. Don't be a stumbling block. Don't drag others down to the words the prophet spoke. Listen to Jesus' words. Ready? Do with your everything. Don't be a stumbling block. Don't drag others down with you. Stop asking people to do what you yourself. Now, why me? I thought these words were for the same. Lest we pull the same move that the lawyer did, it would behoove us to live. And how did Jesus respond to him? I used to look down, shame on them. But then I realized that by name to others, remember? They washed their hands. I'm not like one of them. I started listening a little more carefully. It seems clear that we're to do them because that's where Jesus, but this is a weighty task. And Frank sent you out with these directives and I said, go, then you'd probably, I looked at that and I'm like, I can't do that. Jesus knew he was calling them and thus, which is exactly the point. Jesus. The Pharisees ask, 
Then Jesus steps in and tells them that they're doing it wrong, and he piles more. Their response is where everything falls apart. And they responded in anger and desiring vengeance. This was looking for, which is the response he is wanting from us, is need Jesus. The Pharisees and lawyers, those directives, listen to me on this one. Because some of you try to do these as best I can. Listen to me. These direct and know they are not your takeaway. Those directives that I, your takeaway from today and your takeaway from any Sunday service should be recognizing your desperate need for him. As I read this passage, I started asking God if the inside of my, I wondered what Jesus would say to me where I needed to grow. I know this. As I know him more, he will reveal those things to me. Because is Christ doing the work? Not at all. Ephesians 2, which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and let there are things that we are called to do. But then what does the next verse say? Looking for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seen. Yes, we're called to do things, but we cannot do them on our own. We, Jesus, he did the work on the cross. He does the work. He continues to do the work. It's about him. Not a passage. <sighs> Ephesians. Blessed be the God in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even at the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. According to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, and through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, the things in heaven and in things on earth. In him, him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we of his glory. God, thank you for this morning and just for drawing us to you. What else is there better? Lord, as we go today, just continue to draw us to yourself. Continue to make us more like you each and every day. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.